You'll see we're getting very close to the end of this letter. God willing, next Sunday morning we'll conclude our studies in 2 Corinthians. The two Sundays that follow that, um, I've got a break from preaching uh, here and uh, we'll have a number of uh, messages that are not part of any particular theme. And then uh, when I resume preaching again, it will be March already, doesn't the year gallop through? And uh, God willing, a new series will begin uh, in the beginning of March. That's something you might pray about. Uh, I've got some thoughts as to what we might do. And uh, please pray. Very important thing, isn't it? Deciding on uh, what portion of God's word we'll be looking at next and uh, bringing those truths to bear upon us all. Uh, so please do be in prayer for that as I'm thinking that and praying that through. But this morning in 2 Corinthians, we're going to overlap slightly. Um, at the beginning of this message, we're going to overlap some of the verses that we concluded with last Sunday morning. Uh, just bring out a few other things, because really, as Paul moves into chapter 13, um, the verses there we'll get much more out of if we've just reminded ourselves what he said at the end of chapter 12. So we'll just dip back into the closing verses of chapter 12 and then move on into chapter 13. And this message is titled, Pursuing Godliness. Pursuing Godliness. Now we're made right before God in Christ Jesus at the moment of our conversion. Our standing before God in Christ is complete. And it can never be improved because it doesn't need to be. Because in Christ we are reconciled to God. But we all know and we all must confess that that reality isn't immediately translated into every part of our life and behaviour or our thoughts or our motives. And from that moment on, whilst we are made right in God, in Christ, well, from that moment begins a lifelong work of sanctifying grace as we are increasingly changed and transformed into the likeness of our Saviour. And it's a lifelong work until eventually it's made complete when we're taken up into glory and the salvation is brought to its fullness in Christ. But until then, the life of the Christian is one of pursuing godliness. And this is the issue that Paul is having to challenge the Corinthian church about. And actually one of the most common themes that Paul raises in his letters is one of those things which are the deep concerns that he has that he talks about in, in verse 28 of chapter 11. The deep concern that he has for Christians and for Christian churches is holiness of life. If the Holy Spirit has indeed indwelt you, if the Spirit of God has indeed regenerated you, caused you to be born again, made you to be a new creation and to be alive in Christ, 
if he has visited you in his grace and mercy, if he has granted you the gift of faith, things have to change. They cannot remain the same. It's impossible and unthinkable that the presence of God in a person's life makes no difference. That's just never going to be the case. And Paul's concern is how much difference is it making? And is it continuing to make a difference? Is it going on making a difference in your life and in the life of the church? And his writings are filled with exhortations that Christian believers and churches should take seriously the pursuit of godliness. Now, whilst Christ himself indeed indwells you as a Christian by the Spirit, the changes that he longs to see in you, the changes that he looks for in you, they don't just happen automatically, overnight. Now, it's completely necessary that Christ is in you. But he doesn't do his ongoing sanctifying work without you. He does it with you, in you, through you. Look for a moment at verse 4 of chapter 13. We are weak in him, says Paul, but we shall live with him by the power of God. In other words, we remain weak. God is the strong one. And God's strength is within us. God's strength isn't transferred to me so that now I can live independently from him because he's put his strength in me so that I now am strong and I don't need him. That's not how it works. His strength acts for us by means of our being united to him in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians, Paul talks about how he strives according to the power of God which is working mightily in him. But the fact of God's power working in him does not mean that he should not strive and does not mean that he has no need to strive. But you see, the nature of the striving has changed. Now, he strives, but not according to himself. He strives, but not according to his own strength. Well, he doesn't have any. But he strives according to the power of God, which is in him and at work through him in Christ. And that changes everything, or at least it should. And it is in Paul's life, and he longs to see it in the life of every other Christian and in the life of every other church. And this is his concern which he shares with the Corinthians. And it would be foolishness of the very highest order for you or I to ignore it. Or worse, to think that you don't need it. Well, let's have a look at this morning's text. 
three points all beginning with the word being here's number one being rid of sin being rid of sin now as a Christian the moment you come to Christ you are rid of the condemnation because you're in Christ but you need to be rid of sin daily in your living now Paul is planning another visit to Corinth we see that in verse 20 of chapter 12 but he has his, he has a lump in his throat about that visit for fear that when he gets to Corinth he'll find all kinds of problems still in the church that they should have dealt with long ago he worries that they will not be as he wishes they were and he worries that because of that he will not be able to be with them the way they would wish him to be because he's going to have to be stern with them if they haven't changed he wants to be able to be with them and rejoice at what the grace and the power of God has done in them and he wants them to be able to rejoice with him in that but he's anxious that when he gets there if nothing's changed he'll have to be stern with them he'll have to rebuke them sometimes Christians and churches need to be rebuked and he knows that's not something that they would want to go through either for Paul the pursuit of godliness in believers is absolutely crucial and for those who have oversight of churches it's something they have to take very seriously and it's something that has to be given attention whatever that might mean and sometimes it might ruffle a few feathers well they'll have to be ruffled sometimes a few people might get upset well I'm sorry but if that's what it means for the church to pursue holiness and godliness sometimes that has to happen and, and that's the situation Paul is looking at with the Corinthian church right now he doesn't relish it one bit I fear lest when I come to you it's not something he relishes but he knows he dare not ignore it I hope you've realized from this letter that you can't look at the New Testament church with rose-tinted spectacles thinking that that must have been a fantastic time to live and be a Christian and to be a member of a church oh, you've even got the apostles ministering to you yeah. it wasn't like that at all was it Now, without doubt, the problems that he raises in verses 20 and 21, which we'll just think about in a moment for a few minutes, those things are obviously very real issues within the Corinthian church, or he wouldn't have mentioned those specific things. Now, look at the second half of verse 21. I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and not repented. 
Paul understands and Paul knows and Paul wants to remind all Christians as we read this letter that there are things that God expects us to be rid of. Things that used to be part of us before we knew the Lord but can no longer be a part. And it will frequently mean that you have to take positive and decisive action to be rid of them. It will require repentance. It will require an act of your own will and volition to be rid of these things. But with him, by the power of God, you can. So what's he, what's he talking about in these closing verses of chapter, chapter 12? These things that he hopes not to find when he gets there. Well, are there any people here and you know that there is an unspoken tension or disagreement between you and another member of the church? A contention. It's a sin. And you must be rid of it. So get rid of it. Deal with it. Sort it out. Are you someone who's jealous of another? You wish their life was your life. You wish their home was your home. Their position was your position. That their influence was your influence. That their popularity was your popularity. It's a sin. You must be rid of it. Jealousies. Are you someone who's subject to out, outbursts of wrath? You just flip your lid, as they say. You just explode in people's faces. Uh, maybe your excuse is, well, this is just who I am. And I can't help it. Yes, you can help it, says the Bible. <laughs> It's a sin. Be rid of it. Do you try to influence things in the church because there are things that you want to have a certain way for you? Not at all as Paul described himself in verse 19. All things for your edification. Selfish ambition. It's a sin. Be rid of it. Do you say things that are intended to portray other believers in a bad light? Oh no, you say, me? I never do that. I just told the truth about them. Really? But regardless of whether it was the truth or a lie, you said it knowing that it would paint them in a bad light. And you still said it. And it most definitely did not flatter them. It most definitely did not compliment them, but you still said it. That is backbiting. It is a sin. You must be rid of it. Do you love a bit of gossip? Who doesn't? Do you love to pass on to others what you've just found out about someone else? Wait till you hear what I've got to tell you. Or do you love them have, do you love it when they come and tell you 
Is that the thing that really flies your kite? Whisperings. It's a sin. It must be rid of. Are you ever heard speaking disparagingly about other members of the church? Dear, oh dear, oh dear. What is she like? What would you do with him? Time to jump down off the pedestal that you've put yourself on. Conceit. It is a sin. You must be rid of it. Are you argumentative? You stir up and encourage disagreement amongst others. Tumults. It's a sin. It must be rid of. And then there's any form of uncleanness or impurity. Any form of sexual immorality. Any kind of coarse attitude towards these things. There can be no behaviour or conduct in the church that stands contrary to the gospel and to the new life that we now live in. How can Christian people pursue and tolerate the very things for which the Saviour died? It's just not right, is it? The church must be rid of sin. And Paul is constantly calling us to be diligent and give attention to these things. Don't let things slip. Don't let them start small because they will grow. Nip everything in the bud and be rid of it. The heart in each of us must be of servanthood and for the spiritual edification of one another. Now, one thing I just want to mention, because some of you might unnecessarily right now be having the, the biggest downer on yourself that you've ever had in your life because you need to keep a right proportion and sense of what Paul is actually saying here because we do all have struggles with sin we do all continue to have struggles with sin and you need to be aware that the text makes it clear that what Paul is talking about here is not those seasons of ups and downs that we can all go through and he's not talking about those things which for some of us are just a constant battle but you are fighting the battle not that those things are of no concern and not that such sinful things never be, need to be repented of of course they do but when we go through lapses as we might call them when we're going through those things which are what we might say are, are just normal and typical battles and struggles with sin, those things would not produce the depth of concern and the strength of feeling that is evident in Paul here. He himself knew those struggles. I will be mourning for you, end of verse 21 of chapter 12. Why? who have sinned before and have not repented. This has been going on and on and on and you've done nothing about it and you're not even struggling against it. And that's what makes it so significant, you see. Look at the beginning of, of chapter 13. This will be the third time I'm coming to you 
by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Now he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, where in the Old Testament law, it states that a crime, that especially one that carries the death penalty, needs to be established by two or three witnesses to avoid a miscarriage of justice. This will be my third visit, says Paul. And if I witness again what I've already witnessed on my two previous visits, then there can be no doubt that these are not just the normal struggles that every Christian has with sin. These are settled sins. And you're nurturing them. And you're tolerating them. And you're persisting in them. And you're not doing anything to be rid of them. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's the situation. There's no fight or struggle taking place with these sins. That's what makes it as serious as it is. And if Paul doesn't address it, you see, it's just going to go on and on and get deeper and deeper and worse and worse. That's the situation that Paul is addressing. He's not talking about those of us who know full well what a battle this can be on a daily basis. The thing is, are you fighting the battle? That's the issue. In Corinth, they're not. They've stopped long ago. And that's what he's encouraging them into again. Being rid of sin. Constantly. And then secondly, being strong against sin. Being strong against sin. Now we've seen afresh in our evening series in Ezekiel how strong God is in his opposition of sin and sinners. And especially in those people who belong to him. Which is the situation in the Old Testament with Israel. And don't suppose for a moment that being a New Testament believer changes God's views on those things. Don't be thinking that because now we can talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, who was full of grace, that God now winks at sin in the church like it doesn't matter. The God of the New Testament would never become furious at sin like he does in the Old Testament. Oh, really? You reckon? What's changed in God in a few centuries? Now, it's absolutely true that if you are genuinely saved, you will never lose your salvation. But that does not mean that you cannot provoke God to anger by disobedience. You most certainly can if that's the path you choose to take. That does not mean that you can provoke God into displeasure against you if you're disobedient and unrepentant about it as a believer. And it does not mean that God would not dare to move against you in order to chastise you and to bring you to repentance. Those issues haven't changed. Just because we can speak about Christ and grace in the way that we do. And I wouldn't recommend putting God to the test. Paul is strong against this degree of sin in the church. Because he knows God is. 
and he must be and and so must we we need to be strong against sin I will not spare anyone who I find like this says Paul why not Paul well he reminds them about Christ he reminds them about Christ verse 4 He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. We also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God. And right now, Paul says, I'm doing it toward you. It's because of Christ. How can you come to church and praise and worship Christ for his death on the cross whilst at the same time continuing to embrace the very sins for which Christ died for you. That can't be in the life of a Christian or in the life of a church. That's a bit like someone who's wrecked their liver through drinking or ruined their lungs through smoking and they have a a donor organ transplanted and to the great dismay of the physician, they just carry on drinking or smoking and ruin the new one and the doctors just throw up their hands in despair there's been one or two celebrities who've been in that situation and kept coming back into the news liver transplants especially through people who can't control the drinking they get a new liver they just keep on drinking you can't be like that with sin in your life before God And all of us can stand against our own sins because of the power of Christ who is in us. Verse 4 of chapter 13. You are weak. I know you are. You know you are. But the power of God is in you. Christ made himself weak so that he could die in his weakness but he's mighty in you the one who rose mightily from the grave we are weak in ourselves but we live with him by the power of God that's what makes the difference that what, that's what enables us to put up the fight and to keep on fighting And Paul says we we won't hold back any rebuke or any correction that may be necessary because people, you need to do this. And we we need to. This is the constant battle for Christians and for churches. And Paul laments having to use this kind of language with fellow saints where, where where they're in this position, where they're embracing and tolerating all these kinds of sins. How he would love never to have to speak like this. And thankfully, it's not always the case that he does have to. But if it becomes necessary, he will not hold back. He dare not hold back. There's far too much at stake, and godliness is to be pursued. And for us, thirdly and finally, one of the ways that we can do that is by concentrating on being a faithful reflection. Concentrate on being a faithful reflection. I'll explain what I mean. 
When you stand in front of a mirror and you make a movement, the reflection follows you exactly. Unless you happen to be in front of one of those mirrors at the fairground where it distorts everything and it all makes it look a bit weird. But if the mirror is true, the reflection will follow you exactly. Now, in the Bible, as you read it through, all across its pages, you can discover what a faithful, obedient, loving, joyful, prayerful, worshipping believer looks like. You are called to be a reflection of that. So no longer are you the thing that sets the image for your reflection to follow. The image is set for you in the word of God and you are to reflect it. Open up your Bible, see what it says and reflect it. And with Christ, by the power of God, you can outside of Christ it's a waste of time but with Christ and in the power of God you can verse 5 chapter 13 examine yourselves examine yourselves verse 7 Do what is honourable. See whether you're in the faith. And in verse 5 again, test yourselves or prove yourself. Prove yourself. Examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Open up your Bible and consider how well you are reflecting what is there. Open up your Bible and look at yourself. Is this... Me. That's what you to do. Is this me? At no point in your Christian walk have you any justification for no longer examining yourself before the scriptures. At no point do you cross a line which says, that'll do. You keep on examining yourself before the word of God. You keep on testing yourself or proving yourself now in in the greek the word prove is the word that's used to describe what materials scientists will do to prove what a substance that they dig out of the ground really is this looks like a diamond but is it we need to prove it down in the mine it looks like we've struck a vein of gold or copper or tin or iron ore, or whatever it is. But is it? You'll have all heard the phrase, fool's gold. Because they thought it was, but it wasn't. Looked like it, but it isn't. It gets examined. And if it's genuine, then it'll have A, B, C, or X, Y, Z, and we can tick the box. It's, it's this real thing. You'll know. So you open up your Bible and you find revealed there that a Christian life is this and this and this. 
And a Christian believes that and that and that. And when it comes to being a church member, this is what a member of a church looks like. Now, a Christian will never be any of those things perfectly. We'll never be any of those things totally consistently, not this side of heaven. But here's what to look for. And the Bible shows us when a, conf- when a Christian is confronted with their own sin, this is how they respond. They confess their sin. And the faithful and just God will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And when a Christian is pointed once more to Christ, this is how a Christian reacts. Examine yourself. Prove yourself. Daily. This is what the scripture says. Is this me? that you may be a faithful reflection of God's word. That you might be a faithful reflection of what a Christian is from the heart outwards. With Christ, by the power of God. Now, if you're someone who struggles to be assured of your faith, even though you are truly saved. I hope you can see all too clearly that what Paul is urging us on to here is not a fool's errand. You really can be certain. The first letter of the Apostle John is all about knowing. You can know, you can know, you can know. And it may be that you're a bit more grubby and dirty than you ought to be. But you can be more grubby and dirty than you ought to be, but still be the genuine article, you know. And make progress. And get clean. An uncut diamond straight out of the ground doesn't shine bright like a diamond. If you've ever seen one. You could easily mistake it for just a worthless piece of rock and throw it away. But it's still a diamond. And in the hand of an expert, it can be cut and honed and polished and made beautiful. And you are held firm in the hand of one who can do that to you. As you trust in him, as you look to him, as you rely upon him, as you lean on him, as you pursue him. And says Paul in verse 6. As you become assured in your own position in Christ. You'll become more assured in our position in Christ. As you sort yourself out. This issue that's come between the two of us will get sorted out as well. And that's often the thing. When there, when there is discord, when there's a breakdown in relationships, you get yourself sorted out first. Get yourself back on firm ground. 
And you've often gone a long way to sorting out the problem then. Keep on and continuing in these things is Paul's great prayer, verses 6 to 9. Now, we'll never be without sin this side of heaven. But to be without sin and to be complete is nevertheless a vital thing to pray for one another. Make that your prayer for each other. That all of us would be without sin this side of heaven. Because that will motivate you to continually examine and prove yourself constantly. And in verses 7 and 9, in many ways, Paul is saying there, you know, in some respects, I'm not too bothered what you think about me. Whether you see me as approved by God or disqualified is not my deepest concern. My real concern is that you are living lives that are honourable before God. That's my heart for you. It doesn't worry me particularly whether you think I am weak, as long as I can be assured that you are strong. Because that's my heart for you. Again and again, we see Paul displaying little concern for himself. Oh, to learn that lesson. His heart is for them and for their edification. No matter what I have to go through with you, verse 8, he says, no matter what you think of me, no matter what it costs, we remain faithful to the truth. Never once, says Paul, have I been against the truth, always only for it. You can be assured of that. And so we know that the things that Paul is bringing to us here is the truth of God. We can be assured of this. So we need to take it on board ourselves. And a final thought for all of us comes in verse 10 as we draw to a close now. Paul could have arrived barnstorming into the Corinthian church in person and given them all down the banks with both barrels. And he says, I'd have the authority to do that. But he doesn't. Because that authority has been given to him in order that he might build up. And he knows that he's in great danger of actually pulling them all down. Being such a discouragement to them by being so sharp, so harsh, that he actually produces the opposite of what he's trying to achieve. And so he knows he has to exercise great care in wielding his authority. Because he could too easily cause destruction by crushing them from being too harsh. Well, there's some wisdom for all of us to take on board. Even parents dealing with children. And so he writes these strong words first. They've got time to think it through. They've got time to digest There's a bit of time for any initial reaction to just subside a little. 
very wise. His great hope is that when he does arrive, he won't have to use sharp words. It won't be necessary because this counsel that he's given to them in writing has done its work. Actually, that should surely be our great desire in a local church all the time. That harsh and sharp words should never be needed from the front because the word of God is doing its work constantly in each one of us. Because all of us continually are spending time in the word of God and by the Holy Spirit the word is doing its work in us. We're constantly evaluating ourselves, examining ourselves, proving ourselves with the written word of God before us. And because of that, God is doing his work in us all, constantly. And such harshness and sharpness is never required from the front. We should pray that for one another. Pray that for ourselves. Pray that for every local church. That the word of God would do its work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. The pursuit of godliness in every believer and in every church is one of Paul's great burdens. It should be for you. The proving and examining of yourself. Never mind him or her over there. You've got enough of your own issues to sort out. You concentrate on you. I'll, I, I'll concentrate on me. You concentrate on you. And get it sorted before the Lord. With Christ in the power of God. And that's how it's done. How can we do this? This, this sounds like a tall order. This sounds like a tough thing to do. It is. But here's how it's done. With an open Bible. With prayer. With Christ. By the power of God. Let's let that be us. To his glory and to his praise.